Hello and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Benjamin, joined today by my colleagues, editor Omar Oaks and reporter Ella Sagar, who are here to run through some of the big recent stories in the news and expand beyond them to talk a little bit about the bigger picture. So uh, the Premier League is up and running again, uh, and I am probably the least qualified person in the room to talk about this at all. So I'll have to defer to the both of you. Uh, Are you excited that football's back? Always. Yeah, we're talking about soccer, just to clarify, Jack. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm code switching. I'm, I'm doing my, my part as an expat here. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if any of you watched any of the, the opening matches. I think your, your team probably plays today. Is that correct? Uh, yes, Manchester United plays on Monday evening. It's Monday morning at the time of recording this. And as you can tell from my accent, a very proud Manchester. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, it's it's massive. And it came back on Friday night on Sky Sports and um, on Saturday morning, TNT Sports, as we now have to call them, um, debuted their regular Saturday lunchtime slot. Um, used to be BT Sport, but BT entered into a joint venture with Discovery. And it's now G&G Sports. Everything else mm. is the same for a bit of a refresh of the production lineup and yeah i thought it was pretty good unfortunately on my tnt sport ultimate version where you get the ultra hd content um there were loads of glitching problems oh, the, really? the, the mm. color grading for some reason wasn't working um at one point you couldn't hear the commentators don't know if it was just me or what was going on didn't see a lot of complaints about it probably just me um <laughs> but um and then um rio ferdinand's still there as he's been a bt spawned sport pundit for many years and um unfortunately said something which was highly ignorant where he was talking about you know what why is everyone making such a fuss about all these football players going to saudi arabia you know when when david beckham went to mls in the u.s i didn't hear loads of people complaining Mm. you know know, just because of saudi people want to have a go there's problems all around the world (laughs) and you know it's um it's not too many years ago since you know washington post columnist was murdered at the hands of the saudi government um and you know i've gone on a bit of a tangent but you know it was quite shocking actually to hear something like that on saturday lunchtime yeah. but did that know. did that get complaints or was it just you know i don't know maybe i'll complain yeah maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh we ran a, a story on the on the topic of the premier league coming from the the advertising uh angle which is the the advertising on the front of shirts gambling sponsors are still dominant among in, in Premier League football teams, uh, uh, one in every six football deals and one in every 11 total sponsorship deals across all English professional sports are still uh, gambling sponsors. And that comes even as the Premier League has said it will be banning gambling advertisements from the 2026-2027 season. We haven't really talked about this topic much on the website. It's really not on the podcast previously, but, but gambling advertising is a hugely controversial topic, but also a really big market and growing market, especially in the U.S. where I'm from. Um, I'm curious what what we make of the sector. I mean, how quickly are sports teams going to be able to move away from gambling sponsorships, at least in the Premier League? Are other sports leagues going to follow that? Um, There's been some backlash. The Guardian doesn't accept gambling advertisements anymore. Um, What do we make of the the sector, Ella? I think it's almost impossible to watch live sport without seeing some form of gambling ad, whether it's on the shirts or whether it's a TV ad, or if you're trying to watch like a clip on YouTube or things like that, it seems to always be placed around that kind of content, which, and and I think with this, there's a lot more awareness of like gambling addiction and a lot of football players like Paul Merson comes to mind, ex-football players have come out and kind of said, this is really a problem. Um, because if you are, have that problem, you can't really enjoy the, the sport 
because you can't skip those ads. Mm. The the biggest uh, sector across uh, all sports, but not specifically the Premier League, uh, for for front of shirt sponsorships are now like the industrials sector as opposed to to uh, consumer services like gambling. So maybe there's there's a further move in, in that direction. What does industrials mean? Basically, just means like um, companies. I would think like a car manufacturer, right? Wouldn't that uh, be an industrial sector? Um, there, there's all these. You know, is it like construction or, or like construction? Or yeah, a lot of local. You know, you know, if you have like a local sports team, like you would probably be more of a local business that might be sponsoring those those shirts than you know, Betway or some of the other you know big national gambling companies. Let's say. Mm-hmm. What's been really funny about having gambling ads all over the front of um, football teams' shirts is that um, you just have a lot of these Chinese betting brands. That mm. nobody's heard of, and my understanding is it's because um, you can't uh, in China you can't advertise gambling brands like this. So what these companies do to get around it is like, well, everyone's in China, you know, loads of people watching Premier League football, <laughs> so let's just buy a Premier League football sponsor and they'll just see it on TV. That's mm. how you get around it. Um, strange old business. Mm. I wonder if we'll see more, uh, you know. Uh, perhaps like Disney's uh, properties on on the front of shirts as well because they're getting into gambling too. Um, ESPN, which is Disney owned, big sports broadcaster in the U.S., uh, is getting into gambling through this ESPN Bet. Uh, I believe that was an old barstool property that's being merged actually with uh, that with 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 ESPN. Um, I'm curious. I mean, Disney's earnings came out last week. Um, I'm not sure how big of uh, a part gambling has to play with within their broad business model which is of course very diverse you have parks and experiences and films and tv and streaming and all that stuff um but uh, omar i believe you covered the earnings for us i mean what were the big takeaways from from disney and and do you care about the fact that they're they're getting into gambling is that really going to be big for their business do you think (laughs) it's just incredible to think of what is primarily a children's entertainment brand um apparently making a big push into gambling i I can't wait for um a captain america to you know start walking to a betting shop and (laughs) just leveraging all this ip around you know um, everything we've just been talking about gambling addictions and uh maybe that could be um a spin-off for a future captain america movie like dealing with his addiction you know? mm. um I, I they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel with uh, marvel films i feel like at this point yeah I, I i think it's incredibly interesting what's happening more broadly in terms of um gambling um regulations being opened up obviously a lot of uk news brands have been making their way into the us seeing an opportunity the sun in particular i'm not sure how how it's going to fit in terms of what, strategically what they're trying to do with their IP. You know, Bob Iger during the earnings talked a lot about creativity, but actually all the nitty gritty was about cutting costs and efficiency. Um, and, you know, he's admitted in the past that he's overcommitted when it comes to, you know, building out the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, you know, just rinsing this Star Wars franchise mm. with the exception of Andor, like the, you know, the qualities of all this content has been pretty poor. Um, you know, the Marvel in particular, you know, just constant complaints, not just about how bad and how rushed the production is on the writing, but just the CGI is in some cases woeful mm. as well. And, um, you know, it's it's causing, you know, major issues now um, in terms of loyalty. And you know, this is, you know, when, you, when you're having Netflix continually churning out great content for still an affordable price, um, you know, 
I, I, I would be careful, like, focusing too much on gambling as the new frontier. Mm. I mean, mm. it's celebrating Disney's 100th year this year, so they're going to oh, yeah. be leaning a lot into that, into kind of... I know that in London they're going to have a big exhibition at the Excel Centre about 100 years of Disney, and they're also... Um, that's going to be... And they've already started doing out-of-home ads about, like, 100 years of Disney, so that's going to maybe be a new strategy for them to try and coax more people in. No, they could build a new theme park around gambling as well. <laughs> <laughs> well I was going to say because you were mentioned that they're, they're, the quality of their content is perhaps less than it used to be maybe 10-15 years ago and Disney's had eras where they've been better or worse in terms of the output that they're having but I'm wondering if they should take a look at like the Barbie film and see what Mattel has done and just say like look we gave a really great director a lot of creative uh, uh, leeway in terms of whatever she wanted to do with that film and it turned out great and it's probably going to be the number one film of, of the year this year and it seems like in terms of Disney strategy especially with Marvel production gets a little bit more involved you're not necessarily giving a lot of art- artistic independence for you know a director to really make a movie their own um, perhaps they'll they'll take some lessons from from the creative side of, of the success of Barbie but maybe that's being optimistic I don't, I don't know if you you've ever come across this book Creativity Inc., which is the story of how Pixar was created. And it's just fascinating in terms of, you know, having Steve Jobs um, as a almost a co-founder, not quite a co-founder, but became a major investor in this company, essentially bankrolled them for many years. And, you know, Toy Story, their first big hit, would not have happened without Steve Jobs and Ed Catsmore and um, John Lasseter and all these people actually kind of doing things differently. And Disney, over the last 20, 30 years, has been incredibly good at acquiring fantastic businesses like Pixar, like the Marvel franchise, um they haven't shown that they can do that organically themselves and that's going to be the key thing because i hate to sound like a netflix fanboy but what is coming with a big entertainment monolith like that what the the opportunity is is to actually use ip in different and creative and surprising ways not just continually kind of leveraging kind of the same old franchises you know that that was what was so great about the marvel cinematic universe 15 years ago when they first started these things like actually building huge story arcs that would permeate different things and doing interesting with characters popping in and out of movies like we've done that now so what can we do that's actually playing with genre, playing with different formats? I think that's the opportunity. I haven't proven yet that they can do that. Mm. I'm glad you just uh, a moment ago brought up how they're, they're doing this big out-of-home uh, exercises in the lead-up to the uh, 100th year anniversary. You wrote a big story last week covering the out-of-home sector, um, specifically about Clear Channel, uh, which is one of the world's largest out-of-home companies, and how they pledged a strategic review of its European businesses. Uh, can you explain a little bit what that's about and also why we should care as a, as a broader media industry? I mean, it seems like a pretty big move, actually. Yeah, I sat in on that earnings call. And um, so Clear Channel is the second largest out-of-home company uh, globally. Uh, they are behind JC Deco and uh, their main businesses, they've now split them out um, in terms of they report on they're big in the US and then they'll have um, airports is another big sector of their business. And then they had Europe South, Europe North and then uh, other international, which can include um, like Asia and other bits like that. So uh, in Europe South, they've so- sold a lot of their businesses. So Switzerland and Italy I believe have now sold. And mm. um, so, and then the other two, um, Spain and France, are going to go through expecting 
next year, just pending some regulatory sort of approval and that finalizing of those transactions. So they kind of in the earnings call said that the reasons behind them selling those Europe South portfolio business was uh, to do with the volatility in the market. And and that actually Europe North, which includes uh, countries like the UK, Belgium, Denmark, Europe North had been like doing some really good business and sort of high profit and um, seem to be kind of delivering a solid performance. Uh, but still on that call, the um, the the words that were used were, we are going to conduct a strategic review of our Euro- mm. remaining Europe, European businesses. It was just really fascinating. So there's um, uh, to, they are being optimistic, but there's the American market remains a bit challenged. Airports and like biz, like travel is still is kind of coming back and rebounding. So, but it's coming from like a low comparative. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, so I think the most interesting bit for me was that I'm just wondering how do they, what's next for that European bit of business? Because the other thing that the CEO, um, Scott Well said was that they, we are a US focused business. So whether they might just try and like pull back and consolidate and and try and address that. I think it's some crazy amount of debt. I think it was something like um, 5 billion in company debt that they're trying to... Okay. So it's all about de-risking their portfolio and then trying to kind of bang the drum for out of home and and also make the case for how powerful digital out of home is, which is also what JC Deco really leaned into in their earnings call the week before. Mm. I'm, I'm curious, I suppose, what makes... Uh Europe a little bit more volatile of a market, it sounds like. Um, are there any insights? I mean, do they go into that at all? I think this might, I'm not sure how, sim, how if this is me thinking correctly, but I mean, they were talking about how a lot of advertisers are not necessarily like cancelling their campaigns. They're just pausing and like holding back until later in the year. Um, so then I think it was a bit like a story that you wrote, Omar, about TV, where there's like a lot of late money coming in and sort of advertisers sort of holding back. There's a bit of that going on. But uh, I think it all depends with out of home because there's so many different types of formats that Clear Channel and Deco, a lot of out of home companies split across airports or bus shelters or like roadside or there's and so each of those will perform slightly differently. So I suppose it depends on the country how what the proportion of that Mm. inventory is Mm. from a rough guess (laughs) Mm. there were a bunch of big little news bits in publishing over the past week just to transition and uh just want to sort of go through them a few earnings uh news corp released its earnings which is a pretty remarkable 75 percent drop in full year profit um company attributed that but they still made a profit (laughs) Yeah, well, but this is, you know, public business we're talking about here. I mean, there's never too much profit. And when you see a big decline like that, something's going to be causing it, right? I mean, yes, it's good that they still made their money, but I'm sure they weren't very happy with that. I don't know what you thought, Jack. Sorry to interrupt. I was was a bit surprised there was lots of kind of like negative headlines about News Corp profit plunges 75%. And, you know... It, it seem it seem, it always seems to me like one rule for leg- legacy publishers, if I can call them that, and another mm. rule for tech platforms like Amazon, which, you know, look how look at racking up losses quarter after quarter again. Yeah, uh, well, you know. I suppose it's just the difference in in business model where you know, a company like Amazon or. or Netflix, Spotify, has Spotify ever turned a profit, Ella? You would. Uh, it's on a path to profitability. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sorry, I shouldn't laugh. From, well, but from an investment standpoint, you're you're basically investing in that business, you know, 10, 20 years on. And the hope at that time is they have such a huge audience that 
in terms of their it's a just it's a, it's a growth company as opposed to a mature publishing business that you wouldn't expect like gangbuster growth out of necessarily from from news corp but you would expect more consistent earnings so i think that's usually why the the market responds that way or why you might see a cnbc headline that's like uh, disney only lost you know a few billion on uh, on disney plus this this year but that's okay because yeah. it'll make money eventually, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Rupert Murdoch's making money overall. Yeah, just exactly. not as much money. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and the the reason they attributed that the, the decline in profit was lower print and digital advertising, specifically in News Corp Australia, which is the division that includes the newspaper, The Australian, as well as lower print advertising revenue in News UK. Um, it did point to optimism regarding the use of AI. The big reveal being that News Corp Australia is already producing. 3,000 articles per week using generative AI. Um, and that decline in, in profitability uh, occurred as well uh, in the UK with the, the Evening Standard also reporting increased losses of £16 million. Uh, it says it's now reliant on its own owner, Evgeny Lebedev, to keep publishing. You may be familiar with him. if uh, He's also an investor uh, in The Independent. He's the son of a Russian oligarch and ex-KGB agent, and he was controversially given a life peerage by former Prime Minister Boris Johnson just last year, so he's been in the news actually quite a bit. Don't know if we need to get in into that that necessarily who didn't get a peerage (laughs) (laughs) whole other episode yeah yeah um but i'm curious so we have a bit of negative news basically coming out of the publishing world and i'm I'm curious what we should make of it and uh, omar if you have any thoughts just more generally about the state of the publishing market i mean it's no surprise to see print revenues let's say decline but um certainly among these these other uh, uh big papers seeing digital not doing perhaps as well as as well could be concerning or, or just standard for this year basically going in and out of the market essentially being more negative just down the whole year I mean, there's no getting around it that it was it, it, an, uh, an industry that's already been in structural decline you know faces the challenge of covid when the commuter news in the commuter news market was essentially destroyed for a time because nobody was going into the office, etc., um, And the inflation crisis has hit um, print publishers particularly hard. The cost of newsprint has skyrocketed and, you know, they've had to consolidate all sorts of back-end operations. I mean, we've not even talked about yet the mail, you know, as of over the weekend, talking about throwing its hat into the ring to buy the Telegraph. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the Telegraph already outsources a lot of that production activity to... DGMT, um, the parent group of the mail. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, we've written for years about consolidation happening on digital ad sales, where a lot of the publishers use Ozone Project to do a little digital inventory. Um, having to, you know, there's a lot, a lot of consolidation in this area. And it looks like the mail, if they do purchase the Telegraph, is going to be even a greater consolidation. It's a really tough market. And it's not surprising to hear them all talk about AI because essentially it appears to be a very attractive cost-cutting exercise where I don't know the terms of 3,000 articles that AI is producing. I don't know exactly what it is, but you can imagine it's probably stuff like earnings reports, sports reports, um, you know, stuff that is just, you know, getting rid of a lot of automated tasks. And it creates this whole thing across media where, you know, 
to get into media nowadays, are you going to have to be an AI expert? Mm. Because, you know, it looks like AI is not going to take your job. It's going to be the person who knows how to use AI better than you. Um, So I'd be interested to know how that develops and what concrete plans publishers actually have to leverage that. Because if everyone's using AI... It's not a competitive advantage, is it? Well, no. I mean, I wrote about that last week um, following BuzzFeed's results because BuzzFeed's been banging the, the drum essentially to get into AI perhaps more than any other publisher. They've been very out and proud and saying, you know, we are going to lean on this a lot more. And my, my thought was exactly that, which is, well, if anyone can use AI to, to write an article quickly, then any publisher could do it. The articles are all going to sound kind of samey. Um, there's nothing really unique to say, oh, I really want to go to BuzzFeed specifically or go to News UK or The Australian or whatever it is uh, specifically to read articles that are written by AI because I could, I mean, I could even create those articles myself. I could just go on ChatGPT and tell, you know. Why don't you, Jack? Yeah, I think you did that for the <laughs> the kind of, in your article for the, the you created a BuzzFeed style quiz. I did. You, about I did. succession, which yeah. it was actually, I was like, this is, all right actually yeah like, it was kind yeah, of fun it's it kind of fun quiz. But, yeah. <laughs> but it was a very yeah in the style of buzzfeed so it's like what makes it a buzzfeed quiz as opposed to like what's that as you're saying like if all of them are written by ai like what differentiates the voice and the tone mm. of the article yeah, what's um, stopping me from from founding a new company called like muzz bead or something <laughs> you know and nice. and thank you and doing you know, writing having ai write all the articles and what i mean BuzzFeed, you know, I suppose has the brand, right? But some of these publishers might not have so strong of a brand so as to say, oh, well, I'm definitely going to keep going to them even if they're make, turn, churning out a lot of AI articles. Um, so that, I mean, that, was, that was certainly my thought. Um, I don't know if, Ella, you, you agree or not. It's, as I was saying, it's kind of those articles that it depends, because obviously as, as a journalist, it, it is a bit kind of, oh, okay, like, could I write the same article as a as an as chat gpt mm. and it, you would i think there is hopefully always going to be a need for the someone to put like to actually write the article themselves um as a person rather than just relying on machines but who knows mm. um so is it, do you guys um i should know this already as um the editor but do, do you <laughs> do you guys not use ai already to play around with kind of content for things i mean i'm using it every day to play around with stuff i could talk about that if you like <laughs> oh really well uh, yeah what, what are the tips yeah. I, I would say i don't really use it too much unless it's unless i, I know like there's going to be a direct benefit it could be like you know maybe trying to come up with an idea for something or yeah idea generation is pro- yeah. kind of you know but, or like if you ask it something like what um what a media planners worried about right now and then kind of could give you some out, questions yeah it gives well you some people. yeah some stuff up i yeah. think for me it's kind of i i use the process of writing as a process of thinking as well so like in the process of writing a story i will probably come up with ideas that i wouldn't have otherwise even thought to prompt an ai to to ask so i try not to rely too much on it but uh, i think you're right in the sense of everyone's going to need to know how yeah. to use these very efficiently i mean how are so how, how are, are you, you using, using it? it i i find it's better than a blank page if i'm trying to write a column or a feature or a way of structuring a feature where i'll give a i'll give i use chat gbt and i use notion ai just to give give it some prompts and see what comes out and usually it's pretty bad to be honest but at least it gives me an idea of what not to do 
if that makes sense, which is better than, again, just a blank page. Um, but sometimes it really surprises you. Like, um, so I was thinking about writing about, I don't know if you've all over my socials in the past few weeks have just been like these these fake digital outdoor ads that like people create. What, like, like the Maybelline Like ones. the Maybelline one where, you know, the, um, May, you know, this... Maybelline did this video and this is all fake it's not true but you know it was like the video was like a tube ad where you had like this giant mascara brush come out of a poster and then a train comes past and it has With, these eyelashes yeah. on it and then the mascara brush kind of goes does over the, it yeah, yeah as oh, it wow. goes past and everyone was like oh wow <laughs> this is amazing and it's not real no right. like, you know, no one's building a giant brush <laughs> that would be insane right and, and I think there's something interesting in kind of how outdoor in particular lends itself to kind of like these marketing stunts on social mm-hmm. um and anyway so i was thinking about writing about that so i, I asked chat gbt to kind of um, write a column about you know uh, write interesting uses of subverting media formats and um i, I could read i could read you an extract because it's oh, just be great. bonkers so this is chat gbt Picture this, a cosy evening at home, and your favourite TV show is about to resume. You lean in, ready to savour each suspenseful moment, when suddenly, a character on screen breaks the fourth wall and winks at you. But wait, (laughs) it's not just any character. It's your beloved brand, playfully elbowing its way into your heart. This ingenious blend of storytelling and advertisement is a prime example of subverted media. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta get you on Audible. Yeah, ASMR. <laughs> this is gonna be a weekly feature of sorry in chat GBT, but um, you know, obviously I'm not gonna copy and paste that shit yeah. and just put my name on it. But I fear that a lot of lazy journalists are gonna start doing things like this. Um but again it comes back to what we we're saying about BuzzFeed. Like imagine if journalists just started, you know, there's nothing wrong with using a, like something like this as an idea generator or kind of like quick easy subbing production things whatever that's fine but if everybody is using the same white labeled ai tools for content generation then you know we're just all essentially moving from pens to better pens it's not really giving anyone that competitive advantage mm, mm. i also think that there's the the risk of if you end up just like putting a bunch of press releases into chat gpt and where you're kind of playing a game of telephone because surely those press releases were using ai to generate those press releases right like a comms person was like man it would probably be easier just to give like some of the basic whatever it is give me a press release send it out to a journalist let's say and then if you're just saying well let's you know is a bit of a bland news. Let's. I'm. I'm trying to cut corners as a journalist. Throw the press release into ChatGPT, and then that like makes AI it on makes AI a on AI. Yeah, and suddenly you're like really far away from any human interaction with what the actual news is, yeah. and people may not be thinking, how actually does this matter for whatever you know the broader market that that you're writing toward, um, and. I don't know. I think I actually think that's why perhaps magazines and online magazines are going to be really well positioned with AI because they do still provide the more unique writing and more analysis and the harder news is going to be more affected by changes, you know, because how many ways can you dress up a, a you know, earnings report? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I know, like with anything else, we'll see how, how it develops. But yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be... <laughs> I'm not heartened to use uh, ChatGPT based on that example uh, for writing a column, let's say, or, or anything like that. Um, but yeah, um, Omar, you did mention uh, quickly, just just uh, as a last point, um, the the male 
throwing its hat into the ring for the Telegraph. Um, the one question I wanted to ask, I mean, because they tried buying the Telegraph back the last time it was up for sale. Was that, you know, around 15 years ago or something yeah. like that? Um, and didn't work in part because it wouldn't get past regulatory, regulatory um, antitrust issues. I mean, wouldn't it just be the same issue again here? <sighs> If you're purely looking at the news brand publisher market, then you add the Mail and Telegraph Media Group together and it's about 35%, I think. But once you open it out to digital, then it's not as straightforward as that. Mm. So even though the Mail is one of the Mail Online is one of the world's biggest websites, the Telegraph is not. Um, and you're dealing with not just rival news publishers, but potentially, you know, um, magazines, other forms of publishers. It's a very kind of bigger and more complicated advertising market. So that would probably be the argument they would make to the Competition Markets Authority. But yeah, you would expect if the Mail actually agreed in principle to buy the Telegraph, it would prompt that sort of investigation and who knows where it would lead. Mm. Um, but yeah, fascinating. Mm. Um Last question of the week. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, what are you guys listening to, watching? What's the big media recommendation, if you have one? Anything of the past week that you've seen? <laughs> You're both looking at me like, um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> On Spotify, it will come up with like, oh, you follow this artist and their new album just dropped. Mm. Um, so Jungle just dropped a new album, which I was listening to on the way to work this morning. Which jungle? Really nice. Yeah. What, the Jungle? jungle? Just jungle. Who's, no, who's jungle? Just, I thought uh, that was a genre. Is, is I, it? There, there is also a genre, but also a band. It's separate, uh, separate thing. Well, you can just call yourself so, uh, a whole genre <laughs> of music. I don't know which came first, um, but yeah, jungle. Um, they did songs like "Busy Earning" and a few other songs that you would you would recognize. Um, and uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I've, not, I've, not, I've not heard of them actually. So yeah, that was that was a nice little Spotify recommendation for my commute this morning. Mm. Were you welcomed <laughs> to the jungle? To the jungle. No. <laughs> I was like, what, what do you mean? Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> Omar, did you have anything uh, that, that you would recommend? It could even be an, an outdoor ad. If, mm. you know, if, if that ad was real with the brush, you probably would yeah. recommend it. Mm. Um, well, I um, I was trying to look through my um, chat GBT things and <laughs> and um, I... I asked it if it's giving me loads of examples for this this piece I was thinking of doing about subverting genres, and um, it, it I've been I read um, a very interesting book last week called The Creative Curve by mm. someone called Alan Gannett, and it was one of these books that just came into the office and just kind of like found it on my bookshelf and flicked through. It's like oh, this is actually really interesting, um, and it talks about um, finding you know why you know, it kind of poo-poos the whole idea about the creative genius. Like, guess what? Mozart wasn't, as he was portrayed in the movie Amadeus, kind of composing songs at age four. He had a whole network of people around him that helped him get to where he wanted to go go to and he actually struggled quite a lot um loads of examples like that but in terms of reaching creative mainstream success number one you need a network of people to help you get there and number two you need to position your creative output as to be 
familiar that it's not kind of just written off you know it needs to be people need to know what it is and understand it but it also needs to be novel but not too novel to be dismissed as experimental and i bring this up because um you know all these examples of chat gpt kind of throwing out ideas um was really interesting to see kind of how it applied that formula whether it knew or didn't and so my big idea is you know just have a, a movie screen where tom cruise pops out his head pops out and I, and I Googled that and I couldn't believe that nobody's ever done that. It's just like the, you know, once you think of it, it just seems like the most obvious mm. idea. So I'm going to be pitching that to um, the outdoor companies after this meeting. <laughs> um, and, and perhaps read that book if you're interested mm. in, in learning a bit more. I mean, I think it's, a, it's an interesting idea. You can't be too ahead of the, the curve is basically the, the idea. The only other media story that I wanted to touch on before we kind of wrap up was the women's world cup uh, semi-finals oh, later yeah. this week of course so spain are playing sweden tomorrow at nine and then uh, australia and england on wednesday at 11 so right in the middle of the work day so i don't know <laughs> what, what we're going to do last time we did bring your own breakfast into the office um at 8 30 to watch the match but uh i don't know if we're going to have a little brunch or something that might be nice why do they have to hold sporting events in australia <laughs> i just um oh it's so you should horrible. ask rupert murdoch Mm. My media recommendation, by the way, thanks for asking. I was because I was back home in uh, Chicago, which is why I wasn't on last week's uh, podcast where you guys talked about the news. And uh, I was watching lots of American television. Uh, well, not that much. I mean, I was I was out and about and spending time with my family. But when I was watching American television, the big standout was diners, drive-ins, and dives. Oh, which I don't Guy know if Fieri! You can get here, yeah, love that was on. Him. We love that in the uh, the Benjamin household. <laughs> yeah, it's what does that come on? It goes on the Food Network. And it's the same uh, in network. here, yeah. yeah. It's the same. You can yeah, get we have Food Network. network. Yeah. 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 Um, American TV is British TV now. <laughs> I mean, it's because it's superior. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your top Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives episode? <gasps> There, it's, it's it's one of those few TV shows where you watch and then like four hours is gone and you didn't even realize it. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's not like good, but it's really good TV yeah. in the same way. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you can get that here. Yeah, you can. You can? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, go great. watch that. Yeah. Watch it's just it. on during the day, but it's fine. You're from, you're, you're from Chicago. You're not watching The Bear on Disney Plus. Everyone, everyone's been mentioning this, and I haven't seen it yet. And I don't oh, even, so I don't even know what it's about. Right. It's, it's, it's not a relaxing watch. Is it the second series that's dropped now? Yes. Yeah, so I need to watch the first. Yeah, we're series. watching the okay. second series, and it's this very intense yeah. kind of kitchen chef um, show. <laughs> And lots of swearing, lots of sort of Gordon Ramsay vibes in a way. Lots of Gordon Ramsay vibes. And why is it called the Bear? uh, Like Chicago Bears, the restaurant's called the Bear, and like the and um, this guy has daydreams, nightmares about a bear. Uh, you'd have to watch it to understand, but yeah, it's incredibly good. It's incredibly well written, and but you learn lots about Chicago as well, so um, you'd like it. Mm. Well, I just took the architecture boat tour. Just the big recommendation when you go there. I would recommend it as well. So I already know all there is to know, so I don't need to watch The Bear, basically, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Chicago is my number one city that I will never visit. Oh. <laughs> oh cut to the heart. I suppose it, <laughs> yeah, there's not, not a big reason to, unless unless there's some media, big media um, and advertising firms, actually, that are, yeah. that are out of Chicago. So if you ever want to visit some people over there. Yeah, if any, if any of you guys want to fly me out there, um, I'll come visit. <laughs> in Chicago. All right, sounds good. We'll have to leave it there. Uh, thanks so much for, for coming on and chatting. Uh, it's always a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to the Media Leader podcast. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at the Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.